Well, they're not happy at City Hall in Columbus, which means uh, there's reason for you and I to smile. That's where we begin a Thursday edition of the Bruce Hooley Show. Glad to have you along. Appreciate it very much. Let me hit the live button on our various social media channels besides the uh, Bruce Hooley Show Facebook page. And what do I mean when I say that they're not happy at City Hall? Well, the gun grabbers in Columbus City government have been uh, retarded in their ability to... uh, take your guns and impose their will upon you by a 10th District Court of Appeals ruling. A preliminary injunction awarded by a Franklin County judge in November that was a win for Andy Ginther and uh, those who believe that more gun laws will reduce the number of murders in the city of Columbus. uh, That's been turned back. And so this... I know will be viewed by some as uh, a bad move, but here's the thing that's really bad. If you have different rules for firearms in different communities in the state, do you not see how this could be uh, complete anarchy when it comes to innocent actions by a citizen of Ohio? I mean, after all, are you going to investigate? You don't need concealed carry anymore, so... Let's say you are someone who carries a firearm and you get in your car, you have your firearm with you. You drive from Columbus to Cleveland. You'll pass through various counties where gun laws could be as different as the landscape. I mean, Mansfield in the area halfway between here and Cleveland is quite hilly. And then there are other areas that are quite flat. There are areas that, you know, are still all part of Ohio, but you have would have to, under this kind of scenario, if it prevailed in court, guess, am I allowed to carry uh, here or where? Can I? It'd be crazy. And so I'm glad that the 10th District Court of Appeals said no to this. Uh, Dave Yost, the Attorney General of the state of Ohio, says the court's ruling assures that all Ohioans must abide by the same law, state law, when it comes to firearms. Just like we argued in court, firearm owners statewide should have to follow the same rules we applaud the decision. Of course, Zach Klein, your Columbus City attorney, uh, takes a different opinion, recklessly passing legislation at the state house to pour limitless guns into our streets with no checks and no training has led to chaos and needless death. Well, here it has, Zach. But the state continues, he says, to stand in the way of the ability for cities like Columbus to do anything about it. Come on, Zach, Zach, Zach. We talked yesterday about the murder of a 19-year-old boy, because you are a boy when you were 19. You were a man in some regards, but you're still a boy. Your brain's not fully developed. We talked about the number of teenagers in Columbus. In Columbus, Zach, your turf, murdered this year. And I know if you're... Zach Klein acolyte, you're saying right now, yeah, that's why we need more gun laws. Well, we have had, what was it 12 teenagers murdered? We've had, what was the number, 20-some people in their 20s murdered? And I just wonder, like, come on, be honest. I know, if you're a Democrat, it's hard. It's new turf for you. Would more gun laws, the strictest gun laws in the world, fix the problem of teenagers in Columbus being murdered or fix the problem of 
people in their 20s being murdered. And before you say, well, you don't know until you try, my response to that would be, where in America do they have some of the strictest gun laws anywhere? And the answer to that question would be Chicago, Illinois. Now, I'm going to presume that you're not so invested in and enslaved to your lie that more gun laws mean gun safety, that you would argue or even attempt to argue that more gun laws have made Chicago, Illinois, a safer city. I mean, come on, give me a break. However, there's no end to their continued enslavement to that idea in Chicago. I told you yesterday about Governor J.B. Pritzker and what an inveterate gun grabber he is. They are now and have just passed laws that, again, won't do a single thing to curb the gun gun violence in Chicago. No, excuse me, wrong term. There's no such thing as gun violence. Violence with guns. It's not, it's not the gun that's violent. It's the instrument of the violence. But now in Illinois, they got the holy grail of gun laws. They will now be allowed to take legal action against firearm industry operatives when the state of Illinois deems that those operatives, gun manufacturers primarily, perhaps gun shops, here's a kind of broad standard by which those people in the gun industry will be graded. They can now be arrested, charged, put out of business, who knows what, for endangering the public safety and health of our people. This is where encouraging the foolish, idiotic notion that more gun laws reduce murders This is where it escalates to. This is where it escalates to. In Illinois, where they own the legislature, not just the major cities, they have advanced to the point where gun manufacturers and gun shops can be held legally accountable for violence resulting from guns. Now, at the risk of oversimplifying this, when a gun rolls off the assembly line at a gun manufacturer, I don't believe I've ever read a story where the gun has spontaneously, while on the conveyor, on its way to the carton to be packed and shipped to the gun shop, I don't believe the gun has ever spontaneously fired. I don't believe that's happened. So is the gun... The danger, or is the danger in whoever picks up the gun, loads the gun, aims the gun, shoots the gun, is that where the danger is? But you're going to penalize people who could be hundreds of miles away from the gun while it is unleashing its violence upon someone, which it could not do without somebody loading it, aiming it, pulling the trigger. So this is why it's important for this court here in Ohio to stop this kind of nonsense before it proliferates any further in the city of Columbus or elsewhere. Now, we have today, Thursday, August the 17th, six more big school districts in our area 
having their first day of school. They're back in school in Dublin, in Gahanna, in Newark, Olentangy, Bexley, and Whitehall. And besides Ed Choice, there are some new things that are occurring in schools, not just in central Ohio, but throughout Ohio this year. Among them is a return to common sense, tried and true reading procedures. This is the one thing that seems to energize Governor Mike DeWine. This is, if you ask me, like, what is what gets Mike DeWine up out of bed in the morning? I would say it is a return to phonics-based reading. That's really the only thing. We got some real, con- and I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm, I'm a big advocate for it. I agree with the governor on this. I think it's wonderful that we're going back to phonics-based reading, sound it out, learn the consonants, what sound do they make, learn the vowels, what sounds do they make. I know the English language is complicated. I know it doesn't translate 100% all the time. But that's how I learn to read. It's probably how you learn to read. Rather than this, well, there's a word. What does that word look like? What do the words around it say? Can you guess what the word is? Eh. So I applaud the governor in this, but again, we have so many more consequential fights in the state of Ohio that I would like the governor to get behind, namely the Save Women's Sports Act, the SAFE Act. I would love for him to become or to have engaged a little bit on issue one. I don't know if he's even going to on abortion. I also don't know if he's going to, although he seems more inclined to do so, on what is now official we will have, in addition to the evil abortion as a constitutional right in Ohio amendment on the ballot in November, we also will have the end of society as we know it eventually act, also known as the legalization of marijuana. Yes, congratulations, stoners. The coalition to regulate marijuana like alcohol has secured enough signatures. They filled in the gap. They initially failed. They went back, they engaged uh, Bong Nation on getting marijuana onto the ballot in November. And we're going to have Matt Mayer, Opportunity Ohio, Ohio OhioMatt.com, gubernatorial candidate in the state of Ohio. We're going to have Matt on at 12.05. I got a question for Matt. Are conservatives allowed to put ballot initiatives on the ballot? Like, it's all I see are... Abortion, marijuana, eventually we're going to have redistricting. Like, are we allowed to do that, too? Now, here's a story you will not hear reported on any news that is not conservative news. Uh, James Comer, House Oversight, what are they up to? They've gone quiet here in the last couple of days. Uh, Have they given up on uh, holding Hunter Biden accountable? No, not by a long shot. James Comer sent a letter today to the National Archives requesting unredacted emails to or from then-Vice President Joe Biden and his son Hunter Biden related to Ukraine and Burisma. Now, we know Joe Biden became the vice president in 2009, and we know he served in that capacity for eight years. And we know amid that term, those terms of service, We know that Barack Obama put Joe Biden in charge of Ukrainian policy. Clean up the corruption in Ukraine, Joe. Yeah, okay, sure. Or exacerbate it by taking millions and millions and millions of dollars in bribes from Ukraine. you got to remember, for those of you who look at this and say, well, I think Joe Biden's crooked and I can't believe that he was as brazen as he was to take 
bribes from a Ukrainian energy company and then brag about firing the prosecutor in order to acquire those bribes. You have to remember what else was going on at that time. Joe Biden has been in the Senate for the better part of 40 years, right? And amid his Senate run, who became president? Bill Clinton. And amid Bill Clinton's presidency and the aftermath of Bill Clinton's presidency, what happened? Hillary Clinton transitioned into the primary political official once Bill Clinton could no longer serve. And Hillary Clinton was the Secretary of State, and Hillary Clinton was a senator from New York. And Hillary and Bill, who, remember, were so poor when they left the White House, they stole furniture from the White House. But then all of a sudden, they become like super-duper-duper wealthy. Now, how did they do that? Oh, the Clinton Foundation. Oh, governments around the world and benefactors and billionaires just all of a sudden just couldn't give enough money to the Clinton Foundation. Now, Joe Biden is watching all this, watching a Democrat political family become ridiculously wealthy, trading on what? (laughs) The name Clinton. So in the midst of all this, Joe Biden's thinking, well, uh, you know, I mean, Joe Biden, what do we know about him? He's a braggart. He's a liar. He's probably and he's envious, I'm sure. I'm Scranton Joe. I'm poor Joe. I'm blue collar Joe. Remember, he exulted one time in being termed the poorest man in the U.S. Senate. Well, you don't have to stay the poorest man in the U.S. Senate if the Clintons provide you the template that can allow you to become wealthy. Then he becomes vice president. Barack Obama makes him relevant again politically, worldwide. He's a heartbeat away from the presidency. The vice president's a really great gig. I mean, you're really not responsible for anything unless the person who is the president dies. Then you're responsible for everything. I mean, it's the ultimate Hail Mary. Like, you have no responsibility and the president dies and you have it all. You're not hoping the president dies because it's like being a backup quarterback for 10 years in the NFL. You're paid really well, but you never have to, like, throw the game-winning touchdown pass until the starter gets hurt. Oh, you're in. Uh Uh-oh. Well, Biden never had to deal with the uh uh-oh. He could benefit from being the VP in Ukraine, a country awash in corruption, a country so corrupt they would allow his drug-addled son— to serve on the board of an energy company and pay his son a million dollars a year. Holy cow. If they'll pay my son a million dollars a year, I wonder how much money they have. And I wonder how much more money we could get out of them if I, like, you know, on the sly would be willing to listen to a favor here, there, whatever. I mean, after all, I am in charge of Ukrainian policy. So this explains what was going on at that time. So back to Comer and what he did this morning, asking for these emails from the National Archives about emails to or from then-Vice President Joe Biden and his son Hunter related to Ukraine and Burisma. Now, now, now Comer has done this before, and he's gotten stiff-armed before in asking for these things, which begs the question, what are they hiding? What are they hiding? Today's request is a resubmission of a request Comer made in June. Why did he have to resubmit? Why did he have to ask a second time? Because two of the emails he asked for were withheld in full. You can't even see them. What could be classified 
in an email that is what, almost 10 years old. And the other two had multiple redactions in them. Gee, that doesn't look fishy at all. According to the National Archives, the two email messages that they did release but redacted were from then-Biden aide John Flynn to Joe Biden. Oh, look at this! With Hunter Biden as a carbon-copied recipient. Why would why would a guy in the Obama administration be emailing Joe and copying Hunter Biden on an email in 2016 when Joe Biden was in charge of Ukrainian corruption cleanup and Hunter Biden was on the board at Burisma? Why would you loop Hunter Biden in on that? What is Hunter Biden's official government interest in that? That's a really good question. I'd love to have somebody answer it for me. The two emails that were withheld, they didn't even let them look at them. I couldn't, hey, redact that document. Well, yeah, well, sir, I redacted it, but it's uh, there's no words actually showing now that I'm done redacting these two emails. Those two emails were from then-Biden aide Fran Person in 2009 and a person named Robin Ware. Now, who is Robin Ware? Funny you should ask. Robin Ware is, let me think of, what was this uh, guy's name? Remember Michael Vick when he was like all the rage in the NFL? He had like a pseudonym that he'd stay in hotels under. <laughs> was it? I, I forget what it was. Uh, anyway, Biden, Joe Biden himself was Robin Ware. That was his pseudonym. So now Comer's asking for any document in which Joe Biden was referred to as a pseudonym. Why would you need to refer to him by a pseudonym? Why? I'd like that question answered too. James Comer said this morning, Joe Biden has said there was an absolute wall between his family's foreign business schemes and his duties as vice president. But evidence reveals that access was wide open for his family's influence peddling. Yes, yes, it does. I would love to believe that eventually there's going to be some kind of a straw that breaks the camel's back in this. The guy who's got the recordings of Biden.